Well, good morning, church. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I often look in the mirror and see someone who's still got a long way to go. It's easy to see my imperfections and my flaws. I'm often reminded of how far short I fall from God's glory, and I wonder, can you relate with that? It's discouraging when we focus so much time looking at ourselves. And if you're like me, sometimes you need to be reminded of how God looks at you and what he sees and what he's already declared over you. We need to be reminded of our identity in Christ. First and foremost, our eyes need to be turned to Christ alone. You see, in this, in this world that we live in that is full of self-focus, certainly there are, there are times where it's appropriate to look inwardly, but, but we've got to guard against being so self-consumed that we lose sight of God. We lose sight of Christ. He is the one that we need to cast our gaze on regularly. Throughout 1 Peter... Up to this point, we have been reminded of how great and how precious our salvation is and reminded also that it comes from the Lord. We have an amazing God, amen? And we need to be continually reminded of that. Consider the the circumstances of the believers that Peter is talking to. As you see on the screen, the, the overall theme for 1 Peter, we've just kind of declared as suffering well as exiles. These are, these are people who have been discouraged, Christians who are discouraged because they're facing persecution for following after Christ. Perhaps some of them are struggling to find joy as they've been rejected by the world. And Peter wants to remind them of who they are in Christ. And this morning, we need to be reminded of that. And so the title of, of the message this morning is this. We are a holy priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. We have been chosen by God, the scriptures say, before the foundation of the world. God strictly, by his grace and mercy alone, saved us and made us his own. Our identity now is in Christ. This is amazing news for us. And so let's jump into God's word this morning as we are reminded of our identity. Follow with me as I read 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and 
a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you are our firm foundation. You are the rock on which we stand, and when we stand on you, we are firm, we are secure. But God, as soon as we take our eyes off of ourselves, Lord, we, we begin to find ourselves having a rock, a rough, a stumbling foundation, a crumbling foundation. And so, Lord, this morning, remind us of who we are in you. And, Lord, I, I pray that, that that would spur us on to live our lives for you alone, to cast aside our flesh, which wants to destroy us. Lord, would you point us to you this morning? We thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> To start off this morning, I want to look at several things this passage references in light of what makes us a holy nation. Like, how does it come about that we are made into a holy priesthood? First of all, we come to Jesus. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone, this is Jesus, of course, that Peter is talking about, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As Christians, we know that there is no other way into salvation except through Christ. Even our Lord said it himself in John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, we, we, priesthood refers to all believers. Every person who has ever repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ is part of this holy priesthood. You are not part of a priesthood because your parents were. You aren't part of a priesthood because you go to church. You aren't part of the priesthood because God loves everyone and so everyone is a priest, which is what some people would choose to say. You become part of the priesthood when you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ. You come to Jesus. And when that takes place, you become part of this holy priesthood. Notice Peter has made a bit of a shift. In the previous passage, he talks about longing for the pure spiritual milk like newborn infants. And now he's talking about the sense where we, we grow up. 
We mature in Christ. We don't stay infants. We're part of a bigger family of God. We're all living stones who are being built up in this spiritual house that will withhold within it the presence of God in, the sense, in, in his spirit dwelling amongst us. So how do we become priests? We come to Jesus. Secondly, this. We make sacrifices. We make sacrifices sacrifices. Verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about the word priest, what comes to mind? I'm sure if it's like me immediately, I think of, think of Catholicism. You might think of the special collar that the priests wear, but I, I want you to kind of get that out of your mind and think about what priests, what priests did when it came to the Old Testament. Like, what, were the, what was one of the primary things that a priest did in the, the, new, the Old Testament? They did what? They made what? They made sacrifices. So the people were sinful, out of control, and so year after year after year, the priests would offer these sacrifices for the atonement of sin. But guess what? It was never enough, Right? Every year, year after year, they'd have to keep doing it because they were still full of sin. And God still saw them as sin and still judged them according to their sin. So they had to make these sacrifices. Now we have the, the privilege of being on the other side of Christ, where Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Except he didn't, he didn't offer up an animal, he offered up himself as the Lamb of God. And that paid the price, that was enough to pay the price of the sins of every person who would ever believe. And so when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the grave, he went to heaven, then what did he do? He sat down. Well, what did that signify? It is finished. The price for sin once and for all was paid for on the cross through the blood of Christ now, this brings up a major question for us then. What does it mean for us now that, that we are called priests? We're part of the priesthood. Certainly, our job can't be sacrificing animals, as that's been taken care of, as we've already discussed. Yet here in 1 Peter, we are called to give up what? Spiritual sacrifices. What in the world is a spiritual sacrifice? Well, thankfully, all throughout Scripture, we see uh, the mentions of what a spiritual sacrifice is. The first thing I think about is Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So when we think of being priests, the sacrifice that we are called to give up is our own lives. We are called to surrender our whole lives. When God rescues us, he intends for the whole direction of our life to now be turned to him. Everything we do, our jobs are a sense where we get to spread God's glory throughout the world. Our homes are a place where we shine the, the light of God, where we live. Our neighborhoods become places where we are asking the Lord to open up doors so that we can tell the good news of Jesus Christ. We are called to offer our bodies up. 
getting up early on a Sunday to serve in worship is a sacrifice. Coming to serve our kids and giving them the gospel in a way that they could better understand is a spiritual sacrifice. Being a missionary and choosing to give up the security of America to go to another country where your life may be in danger is a spiritual sacrifice. And there's a real sense where many who have gone before us have literally given their lives for the sake of Jesus. But this is the essential call for all of us. Jesus said, whoever comes after me must what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow him. We are called to be living sacrifices. We're living our lives for a a whole new thing. We're doing it for the glory of God. Here's another, this is what Hebrews 13, 15 has to say about spiritual sacrifice. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What we did this morning in singing was a spiritual sacrifice where we're acknowledging with our lips, Lord, you alone are worthy. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one that I surrender to. And man, let me just say it was beautiful this morning. Thank you, Elijah, for leading us. Thank you for letting the congregation lead us to be able to sit back and hear you sing of the greatness, how great our God is. That is a sacrifice of praise when we proclaim it to our neighbors. It's a sacrifice. It's a spiritual sacrifice. We are saying, not to us, but to him be the glory. The next verse in Hebrews 13 says this, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God, just the, the very essence of doing good deeds, of sharing the resources that you have, of looking for people in need and meeting that need. These are spiritual sacrifices that we give for the sake of the kingdom. God calls for us to lay our lives down. We're not like the priests of the Old Testament offering animal sacrifices. We offer a personal sacrifice. It's the giving up ourselves, and we do so for the sake of others. Our sacrifice doesn't pay for our sins. Doing these things doesn't earn God's favor, but rather it's saying, God, you are so worthy. You are so deserving of all praise. I can't help but give my life up for you. This is what it means to be a spiritual sacrifice, what it means to be a part of a holy priesthood. Our allegiance is fully to Christ, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of frustration. We do so because he's worthy of it. So what makes us a holy priesthood? We come to him. We make sacrifices. Here's the next thing. We do it all through Christ. We do it all through Christ. Look at verse 5 again, the last part. It says, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is where we bring it all the way back to the beginning. We once were lost in our transgressions and sins, but Christ made us alive through his death and resurrection. So the only way we become a holy priesthood 
And the only way that our sacrifices are acceptable to God, it's through Christ. Believer, hear this. Your good works, your bodily sacrifices for the sake of Christ are not accepted by God because of your efforts. They aren't accepted by God because of anything about you. They are accepted because of what Christ has done in you. He is the reason why Jesus receive, or God receives our sacrifices. Jesus is the one worthy of all praise. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may do what? See your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Listen, who deserves the glory for all our good works? God. Let me just take you back when we went through Ephesians. When, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the fact that we're saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, not by works of righteousness, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do what? To do good works, which, by the way, God prepared in advance for you that you should walk in them. So God's the one that's laying them out. Here, I got some good works for you to do. I'm laying them out. I'm giving you my spirit to take it out. And so go do what I've called you to do through my spirit. So when we do good works and people see it, who gets the glory? God. He is the one worthy of all the praise. The only reason why our sacrifices are accepted by God is because of what Christ has done in us. And what Christ has laid out for us to walk in. And this is why Jesus was so precious to God and why he should be so precious to us. You see that? You see God's love for, for, for um, Jesus. Peter says it in verse 4. And then we see this in verse 6, which is a, a phrase from Isaiah 28, 16. It says this in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame is that god laid jesus down as a cornerstone i don't know about you but like what is a cornerstone christ alone corner like corner in the corner like what does cornerstone mean if you're a builder the cornerstone was the most important piece of the whole building you get a bad cornerstone, and the whole foundation will, could crumble. You've got to get the foundation right. It's got to be strong enough. It's got to be in the right place, and, and this is what Jesus is. Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything is built all around Jesus. It's built off Jesus. He is the firm foundation. He is the one that we lean on. With Christ, we won't be going under. So when we offer spiritual sacrifices to God as believers, they are accepted. But make no mistake, it has nothing to do with how wonderful a person you are. Your sacrifices of worship aren't accepted because of your talents. Your good works aren't approved because of your thoughtfulness. It's only through Jesus that we have sacrifices accepted. And so this leads us in a place that is one of the most grieving things amongst believers. There is absolutely no room for boasting. If Jesus is the one that 
paid the price for our sin, there's nothing we could do. If he is the one who laid out good works for us to walk in and given us his spirit to carry those things in, then what do we have to boast in, believer? And yet, what is the greatest sin in the church? Pride. We have a firm foundation. He is the the cornerstone. And whoever puts their hope in him, whoever believes in him, will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, the world will shame you. But there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and Jesus will take his people home. Don't fear the one who can take your body. Fear the one who can take your soul and cast it into hell. He is coming back for us. He is a firm foundation, and he is a sure person to trust in. Peter could have have stopped here, but he also acknowledges some bad news here. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. So, again, those who put their trust in Christ will not be put to shame. There's honor for you. But for those who do not believe, here's a quote from Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 8, and here's a reference from Isaiah 8, 14. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. So here's the sad reality. Not Everyone will taste and see that the Lord is good. To many people, Jesus isn't precious at all. Rather, he causes them to stumble. And to others, he is offensive. As you walk through the Gospels, as we're doing in the men's, you'll see all throughout Jesus had this run-ins with what people over and over, the Pharisees. Religious leaders who knew the law but did not know the power of Christ over and over again fought against Jesus and tripped over him continually. And they tried to put their yoke of man-made laws on the people, but when Jesus came, he squashed all of them. And instead of restraining people, he came to bring them life. I mean, just listen to some of the crazy things the Pharisees did. This is what we talked about on Thursday morning. You remember the story where Jesus on the Sabbath goes, uh, he's talking to the man who's got a withered hand, and he heals his hand on the Sabbath. Well, this infuriated the Pharisees. Here's the reason why. It's okay to heal on the Sabbath in their minds if it is a life-altering healing. So if someone's life's in danger, okay, you can heal. But if it's not life-altering, then you're going to have to wait till the next day. Is that crazy or not? Like, here's this man with the, with the need. Who knows how long? I'm sure the hand didn't wither in the, overnight. It had been withered for some time. And you're going to keep him one more day just because you have this man-made law? Like, who gets to, how, how do you even come up with this? But here's what happens. This is what happens, right? Jesus comes, and, he, and he's a different cat, right? He's just different from the rest of the world. And they trip over him over and over again. Jesus was foolishness to them. And listen, this is how God destined them to be. These are hard words to read here. Verse 8. They stumble 
because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. There are some who will choose to walk in the flesh and not give their lives to Christ. But in these words, I think there are actually it's a great hope for Christians. See, even in the midst of the sinfulness of mankind and the, the fallenness of the world, Jesus is still fully in control. When th- bad things happen, this is when some people like, don't want to follow Jesus because they're like, why would Jesus allow bad things to happen? God is fully in charge here. He is fully in control. And even those people who are coming after you right now, who are trying to bring you down, nothing can happen outside of the hand of God allowing it to. As believers, we know this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the thing. We could not believe this to be true and think that God somehow wasn't sovereign over evil. Because how, how could we know evil wouldn't come back and then take the good away that God brought? But we have great hope knowing that Jesus is our firm foundation. He is the one that's in charge. He isn't the one that is in control. Go back to the cross. Who, who, who was it that physically put Jesus up on the cross? It was evil men carrying out the sinful desires of their hearts, calling him wicked, sinful, mocking him. But we read in Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Father to crush him. See, what man tried to use for evil, God used for the greatest good we could ever imagine. He works everything for our good. All things means everything. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a holy priesthood. We are so by coming to Jesus, offering sacrifices. We are a holy priesthood through Christ. It's because of his sacrifice that makes our sacrifices acceptable to God. Peter does not want us to forget this. Because of Christ, we have been made into something so glorious. Look at it as it continues here in verse 9. This is what through Christ we have become. You are a chosen race. This has nothing to do with the color of your skin, by the way. It has everything to do with those who have been washed by the blood of Christ. Those are the ones who are God's chosen race. Let's understand this. For all believers, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Peter says earlier in, this, in chapter 1, we are a people who were caused to be born again only by his grace. Has that happened? He chose us not by anything that we had to offer. Listen, he didn't see potential. Christian music... In some places, some Christian writers, I put that in quotes, may want to try to say some of those things. Hey, look, you've got a lot to offer Jesus. Come to Jesus. You've got nothing to offer him. Which I find actually to be quite hopeful because I know there are days where I'm having good days, and I know there are days where I am an idiot, right? (laughs) 
He chose us strictly by his mercy. Verse 9 goes on to say, we are a royal priesthood. This speaks of our dignity in Christ. We are king's kids. Listen, this shouldn't make us arrogant. This should humble us to our core. We were the beggars on the street. We were the dirty ones who had no place. We had no home. And God made us royal. Listen, we don't sit and think, ha, look how cool I am. We think of, look at how merciful and amazing God is. Why would the king of kings care to look at me? We are a holy nation, the word says here. We have been purified. We've been set apart from the rest of mankind. God has cleansed us through Christ. Some of you have a very colorful past. You've, been, you've taken part in a lot of sin. And there's a lot of reason for shame. But brothers and sisters, if you have truly repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, he has declared you holy. Not by anything that you have done. Listen, you are not going to look holy today. You're not going to look holy tomorrow. You're not going to look completely holy until Jesus returns. But yet, God looks at you as holy. Because when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son. You are a holy priesthood. You didn't become this because of your good works. You were declared it. Goes on to say here, you are a people of God's own possession. Brothers and sisters, he acknowledges you. He chooses you. He takes you in. He loves you. You are his own possession. Listen, I talked, I talked to somebody even this week who mentioned in his childhood just feeling so rejected, so pushed back, so uh, unloved by those around him. And I'm like, that's not the way Jesus looks at us. Even though we are unlovable, even though we are ugly, he made us his own possession. Brothers and sisters, he cherishes you. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. <laughs> Don't forget who you once were. You were once nobody. Man, I feel like a nobody. That's because you are. But listen, in Christ, we become God's people. We become Owns by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And listen, this is the way he treats his people. His mercies are new every morning. The scriptures say he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and guess what's not going to happen? You're not going to exhaust his mercy towards you. Look, if Jesus tells the disciples, you should forgive 70 times 7, which is not a math equation, it's a don't count. If Jesus tells us to do that to others, you can guarantee he's doing that to us when we come to him, we repent. We're going to be repenting. That's what it means to be a Christian, we repent. And God forgives. He's faithful to forgive. His mercies are new every morning. You're going to wake up tomorrow after doing some stupid stuff today, and God's going to say, my mercies are new for you. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
apart from Christ, we were object of God's wrath. One day he will pour out his wrath on those who reject him. But for his children, that wrath was spared for you by placing it on his son for you. thinking a lot this week, just a lot of just crap, if I can say it, part of my language, just in people's lives, just the reality of sin that has caused death. I don't know if you guys know Doug Earnhardt, used to sit right, one of these front rows here. His wife, Dusty, has cancer, and um, you know, we've been waiting kind of for a call when Dusty would pass. D- Doug himself has dealt with stroke, and his speech is real slow. And if you've ever talked to him, it's, he, he gets impatient with himself. And I'm always like, it's okay, Doug, just take your time. Watching this, this poor man suffer while he takes care of his wife. But we got a call a few weeks ago, and it wasn't Dusty that passed away. It was actually Doug. And you're thinking, what's Dusty going to do? We have a, if you guys know what Marco Polo is, it's basically like a, an app where you can send short video messages and I'm on a, with a group of pastors and two of the pastors in the group uh, recently have just gone through traumatic stuff with people in their congregation. One of the elders, his name's Ben Miller, be praying for him. These are all Great Commission Collective pastors, but Ben Miller's a pastor of Oak Hill Fellowship and uh, one of his elders, 53 years old, was walking one day and Next moment, he was gone. Ben's best friend. Another pastor just had gotten off a call when he sent a message asking for prayer of a young couple. Eight and a half months pregnant. Baby got wrapped up in the umbilical cord. And I find myself... This week, just reminding myself, we are a holy priesthood. Those who put their hope in Christ will never be put to shame. We still have great hope, even in the midst of those circumstances. So even when we're singing, I'm thinking for them, we, one day we will all sing unhindered, then sings my soul. My Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. God has done great things for us. He's made us a people when we weren't one. He's given us mercy when we had none. And there's a reason for this. We aren't meant to just take this and go home and celebrate in our little small groups, which are great, by the way. I'm not dissing that. But we're not meant to hog this. There's a reason why God saves us. He, he saves us for something greater than just for us to enjoy it. Look at the scriptures here. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous Light, listen, brothers and sisters, the holy priesthood, proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news. He has brought you out of utter darkness. Listen, this wasn't like, it was kind of dark out. 
You ever, you ever been somewhere? You ever been like in the woods where there's literally no lights around? It is like, it's like the clouds have covered everything and you turn your lights off and it is like pitch black. You can't even see the hand in front of you. That's what we were. We had no hope. We had no, no hope that we could call our own. There's no way out. And yet God rescued us by his glorious grace and brought us into his marvelous light. And Peter is saying, look, you're in exile, but God, you are a chosen people by God. And so proclaim the goodness that you have received. Don't just take it and hog it for yourself. Go proclaim it. There's people who need to have the hope that you have. So that when something tragic happens to them, they can still sing, how great thou art. Proclaim the gospel. So question for you, what keeps you from proclaiming the gospel? Perhaps you've just forgotten what God has rescued you from. Perhaps you need to remember his amazing grace and his mercy towards you. Mercies that are new every morning. That he took you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. May that lead us to a place where we can't help but proclaim the gospel. Not only that, here's the last thing, and we'll do this quick. As a, ro- a, ho- as a holy priesthood, Die to your flesh. As a holy priesthood, die to your flesh. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What are they seeing all around them? Passions of the flesh being lived out. What do we see all around us? Passions of the flesh. Hey, let's make laws that glorify the passions of the flesh. Let's change definitions of words so that we can enjoy the the passions of our flesh. Hey, you're an exile, sojourners. Don't take part in what the world says is good. Abstain from it. Listen, these things, Peter says, they wage war against your soul. It, 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 It caused me to pause for a little bit and to think about how have I allowed my flesh to reign? Like, Think of moments where my flesh has been what is driving me. Now think of sustained periods of life after those enjoyment of the flesh. How many sustained, long sustained times did you just really enjoy life? How many of those times were life just going so well for you while you were playing around with your sin? Like how, how, how many times did you enjoy that sin and you weren't trying to hide anything? I couldn't think of anything. The, the flesh is waging, raging war. It's waging war against us. It's telling you lies. It's saying, you need this. You're, you're going to enjoy it. And all it does is bring death. And here's the other warning that Peter wants us to be aware of. People are watching you. Look, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why do you think so many people hate the church? It's because the church doesn't look like the church. It looks like something different. And you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Live like it. Don't live like the sinfulness that you see all around. Guard against it. They're watching you. Keep your life honorable so that when they call you evildoers, there will come a day when they will glorify you because of the way that you've lived your life. Brothers and sisters, remember, your flesh isn't there to make you happy. It's there to destroy you. You may have fleeting moments of pleasure, but that will come crashing to an end real fast. And you could lose everything on this earth. 
put it to death. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, what should you do? Pluck it out. I don't think this is, I don't think there were a bunch of people walking around with one hand missing and one eye missing. The point is, do whatever you need to do. Get rid of it. If your phone is causing you to sin, guess what? You don't need a smartphone. Get rid of it. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of it, is he not? We are a holy priesthood who's been rescued by the Father. Remember that he has made your sacrifices weak and fleshly as they are acceptable because of Christ. And as holy priests proclaim the good news that you were once in darkness and he brought you into the light. As a holy priesthood, die to your flesh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercies to us this morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. Father, we all still struggle with our flesh. We all still wrestle with sin. We all still will have moments, this week even, where we give in. Remind us in those moments that we, yeah, we once were peace, people that would not have received mercy, but now we've received mercy. We'll never exhaust your mercy as your people. Your mercies are new every morning. God, would you remind us this week of our identity in you, what you've declared of us? And God, would you remind us of all that we've been rescued from so that it would lead us to want to proclaim your goodness all the more? And may that lead us also to continually fight against the flesh, Lord, that is waging war against our souls. God, guard us from doing that out of a sense of like shame or manipulation, but rather let it be from just the realization that when we give into our flesh, it brings death. The pleasures that follow are not worth the pain that it brings. Oh, Lord, we need your help. I thank you for your grace and mercy that has rescued us today. Great are you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Well, I'm giving you a Sabbath rest from uh, action steps. So you don't have to do anything this week, right? <laughs> I encourage you to take what the Lord would give you, would have you do this week in light of perhaps it's asking yourself if you're not proclaiming the gospel, why not? You maybe need to remember what Christ has saved you from. I have some great news uh, to give you. So it's been four and a half months uh, without a worship pastor. It feels like four and a half years to me. Uh, but we, had, we brought in Nick Monroe last week, and you may or may not have known that we were looking into, would this be the guy that Lord would call us, uh, call to our church? We extended an offer this week, and he accepted. And so, yes. So Nick's a great dude. Uh, he's a single guy from Kansas City, Missouri. Lord willing, he'll be here probably the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, we're still working on that. So appreciate your prayers as we figure out Housing, uh, if any of you have been searching for housing, you know how terrible it is right now. But we're going to trust that God's going to provide. He who calls will be faithful to provide. Uh, Nick's main uh, role will be worship. 
he will, uh, so everything that's involved in worship, he'll oversee. He's also going to help just, uh, he, he did a lot of first impressions, like visitors come. You know, we need to get better at that. We want to be better at loving our people, getting to know our people. So he's just going to help oversee that. He won't run it, but identify the key leaders, encourage the ones that we do have, and grow that so that we can better care for people as they come to our church. Uh, just a phenomenal dude, though. You'll love him. And uh, I can't wait for him to get here. So let's celebrate that. Uh, grateful for, for that. So uh, with that, church, let me remind you that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.